From prospects to suspects, we'll talk young players with Rob Gordon next on Baseball HQ Radio. on the way, a swing and a foul, left field, way back, Blue Jays win it, the Blue Jays are World Series champions, as Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning, and the Blue Jays... Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of February the 11th and show number four of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon, we'll have our regular contributors from the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our National League analyst is Harold Nichols. Our American League analyst is columnist Matt Beagle. Also our Market Pulse commentator this week with part one of his analysis of the simulation draft pool looking at the top of the draft and the pitchers. In our regular minor league minute, Rob Gordon comes back to look at Seattle left-handed pitching prospect Danny Hultson, and in his master notes, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talks about surviving the storms by playing the game. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? They're going to be on the fields in Florida and Arizona this week. we got to talk some baseball. And to open our show, as always, our League Watch News reports. Matt Beagle is on deck with players from the American League. But leading off, it's the National League and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good to be here, getting ready for spring training. It is good to see the pitchers and catchers reporting this week, Nick. Uh, one of the best times of the year, the anticipation starting to build. You know, just the other night uh, I did my first draft budget for my American League only league and uh, looks promising for me, but it always does at this time of the year for everybody. Uh, not a big week of news in the, the National League, as you can tell, because our top story is Jeremy Guthrie going from Baltimore to Colorado. You know, Jeremy Guthrie certainly is not a big name, but it looks as though he might actually head the Colorado rotation. What what you've got with Jeremy Guthrie? Jeremy Guthrie in three of the past uh, past five seasons has posted an ERA below four, three point seven zero in two thousand seven. Most recently, three point eight three in two thousand ten. He's been a very consistent and durable starter for Baltimore. Uh, above two hundred innings pitched the last three seasons, uh, but nothing to write home about. I mean, here's a guy who has very little margin for error. He he strikes out less than six batters per nine innings, uh, 5.7, 5.0, 5.1, 5.6. So very consistent. His his dom rate's not going to go up. Um, and, and as a result of that, very little margin for error. If he if he makes mistakes, he gets in trouble. Um, 
his biggest problem was in 2008 when he, he his fly ball rate went up to 47%, and suddenly he's got an ERA back of over five. So Jeremy Guthrie is the kind of guy, his XERAs are in the mid-fours, uh, expected earn run average somewhere in the mid-fours. Transfer to Colorado shouldn't be too difficult for him. He's been playing at a home run park anyway in Baltimore, so I wouldn't expect that to be a problem. But uh, he just doesn't have a lot of upside. Um, maybe a, a solid uh, end-of-draft kind of guy if you're desperate, that sort of thing. Well, Nick, you mentioned uh, Guthrie's flyball percentage coming down from a 47% peak in it was in 2009. In the last couple of years, he's been pretty much an equal split flyball to ground ball. Gene McCaffrey of Wise Guy Baseball, who's going to be a guest on the program in the future, he likes to see those pitchers who have ex- more extreme splits, whether high fly ball ratios or high ground ball ratios, because they can really help you, albeit in different ways, more than guys who have those balanced splits, especially guys who have balanced splits and relatively low strikeout rates, like you mentioned Jeremy Guthrie has. So Jeremy Guthrie, as you said, a lot of reasons to be wary, even though he's going to have a prominent role in Colorado. A guy who's going to have a increasingly prominent role, one suspects, in Atlanta is Brandon Beachy, a fine young starter. Had a good rookie season last year, fell off a bit in the second half, but what do we think of Brandon Beachy in that Atlanta rotation? Oh, we like Brandon Beachy a lot in that Atlanta rotation. And here's a guy that, because he had some issues, he had a, was out for a month with a strained oblique in the middle of the year, and um, he, he may be going lower in drafts than he deserves to be. Brandon Beachy wound up with a 3.68 ERA, which is nothing bad at all, and seven wins. Um, didn't get as, as much uh, as much uh, offensive support as he, he might have liked. So if you look at those numbers from last year, that just looks sort of, well, you know, here's a guy who's okay, and if I draft him, okay. If you're in a keeper league, go after Brandon Beachy. His uh, dom, dom rate, strikeouts per nine innings, 10.7 for the season. So here's a guy who doesn't have a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. His fastball caps out in the low 90s but still managed to strike out more than 10 batters per nine innings. His control is good, uh, walked less than three per nine innings. Uh, expected earn run average last year, 3.18. That's amazing for a rookie. Um, so he could do even better than that 3.68 he posted a year ago. Uh, definitely a guy that you, that you want to look at uh, in your draft. Nick, uh, maybe it'll help people who are targeting Beachy that he had a bit rougher of a second half than a first half. His his first half was really tremendous, a 306 XERA and a 304 ERA, so he was full value for it, had terrific skills, a fairly high fly ball tilt, which, as we mentioned a moment ago, it can be uh, quite positive. And then uh, in the second half, he had quite a few more starts, quite a few more innings, 85 innings versus 56. His ERA rose to 411. His whip went up from 103 to 132. And this might have people steering clear of Brandon Beachy because of that second half fade. But couldn't this be a case more of a young pitcher who's just wearing down a little bit and now he's going to have that experience under his belt and be really prepared to, to excel in 2012? Very definitely. Remember, he was coming back, too, from a strained oblique in the middle of the year, and so that, that may have even actually affected that second half, even though he was, he was supposedly healthy. Yeah, that's a good point. Oblique injuries are really tough to recover from for hitters and for pitchers because of all that upper body torquing that goes on in both activities. Uh, Nick, for a while, Nate McClough looked like he might be one of the really terrific fantasy baseball players to have. In 2008, he had a tremendous year, and for the last couple of years, it hasn't been so good. He was down in Atlanta. He struggled. Now he's back in Pittsburgh, the site of his best years. Does that mean we should be looking at uh, Nate McClouth? Yeah, stay away from Nate McClouth at this point. Uh, 
as you said, there were a couple of years when Nate McLouth was a, was a neat guy to have in your roster. He, he uh, hit 20 home runs, stole 20 bases, uh, hit 276 in 2008. Looked like a really kind of a, a nice guy to have in your outfield. But uh, things have kind of fallen apart for Nate McLouth over the last two seasons. Last uh, last year, hit 228 in Atlanta, uh, only four home runs, only four stolen bases in, uh, in 267 at-bats. So uh, things have kind of gone downhill for Nate McLouth very quickly especially his power. I mean, his power index at, at uh, 2008 was 138. We think an average for the league is one, 100. So here a guy clearly producing better than league average power. That's dropped incrementally every year down to last season when his power index was, was 74, which is well below league average. So here's a guy that's, uh, that simply uh, has, has kind of fallen off the cliff since he had a career year back in 2008. I don't think going back to Pittsburgh is going to help him. Well, certainly not if BaseballHQ.com's projection is anything to go by. Looking for around 300 at-bats, maybe six, seven home runs, 30 RBIs or so, $4 worth. He might get you some stolen bases if that's of interest to you in your league. Nine, ten stolen bases, certainly he always could run. But, of course, at the same time, there's also the concern with durability. He's had uh, multiple injuries over the last couple of years. especially those nagging kinds. You mentioned the oblique strain. He's also had a sports hernia. These are the kind of things that can nag you almost for the rest of your career. So uh, I guess we're saying uh, look out for Nate McClough. Yes, indeed. And if you look at him, the other thing that's happened to him is his ground ball rate has been rising steadily. In 2007, hit only 31% ground balls, a fly ball rate over 50%. Last season, that thing had that, that, that a total flip, 47% ground balls, 36% fly balls, and uh, that's one reason the power has disappeared. Yeah, but on the other hand, sometimes if a guy can run, hitting more ground balls can help his batting average. So if you're looking for a reason that you might want to roster McLeod, heaven knows why, maybe that's it. Uh, not much more to say about him. Uh, when you're in a National League league, Nick, it's always tough to find shortstops, especially once the first couple of top ones are gone or they've been frozen on a, in a keeper league. So there's a couple of young guys I think we should take a look at this week and have been looked at at BaseballHQ.com, and that's in Cincinnati, Zach Cozart, and down in Atlanta, Tyler Pasternicki. And maybe you can start, Nick, by telling us uh, about uh, Zach Cozart in, in Cincinnati. Is this a guy we should be looking at for 012? You know, the problem with Cozart, I, yeah, Cozart really could be very useful, I think, in 2012, but not, not as much as people may think at draft time. Cozart, in, in 37 at-bats in Cincinnati, had a 324 batting average. And uh, uh, so you look at that and you think, wow, here's a guy who's really going to be something. Well, the numbers say no, not so much. Uh, that's not something we, we expect him. Uh, if you look back over his, uh, his batting averages in the minors, uh, this is a guy who should hit around 250, not 324. And so if the rest of your league mates are expecting him to hit, uh, to hit uh, 320, uh, you're, you're not going to get uh, – he's going to be way too expensive. On the other hand, if we take away all of that, here's a guy coming back from Tommy John surgery on his non-throwing arm. Uh, maybe he'll be off people's radar because of that. Here's a guy who could hit around 250, 10 homers, 10 stolen bases. You know, so a, a decent uh, second shortstop option, I would say, uh, is what he looks like to me. Uh, Cozart certainly uh, certainly is, can can play a bit. Um, looks like he could uh, could be a, a a passable ball player, uh, but don't expect him to hit 300 again. Okay, so a qualified endorsement of, of Zach Cozart down Cincinnati. What about Tyler Pasternicki in Atlanta? You know, Tyler Pasternicki is a guy who's going to – the Braves will find out in spring training whether they think this guy is ready or not. He's 22 years old and, and maybe just too raw at this point to uh, – and no major league bats behind him. But here's a guy, the 
This guy with some real speed. I mean, we've, we've got a, a possibility out of Tyler Pasternicki of 20 or more home run, uh, stolen bases for the year, assuming he can uh, he can crack his way into the lineup. Uh, and looks as though in terms of he, that he could uh, have a decent batting average. We're projecting a 280 BA, uh, which certainly is not bad at all. So uh, Tyler Pasternicki is a guy to watch during spring training. Uh, he could come out of there with uh, with a, if he comes out of there with a starting role, uh, he could bring some speed to the lineup. I'll put you a little bit on the spot here, Nick. How likely is Tyler Pasternicki to crack that opening day lineup? Atlanta is not deep in terms of middle infielders, so I think the chances if he plays well in spring training are actually pretty good. I think we have him at the moment at the top of the depth chart in terms of shortstops, but of course they'll uh, they may wind up with a, a more seasoned uh, seasoned player depending on how the spring training goes. All right, Nick. Thanks very much for doing this, and we'll catch up with you again with more National League news in a week's time. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Harold Nichols is the Director of Skills Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and our National League newsman here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League, BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle. Matt, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Valentine's Day is coming up, Patrick, and this is the part of the season I love. Roto drafts, simulation drafts and trading, almost as good as the games being played themselves. It is almost as good. The anticipation is almost as good as opening that present on Christmas Day, isn't it? Matt, the news in the American League this week starts in Texas, where the reigning American League champions have consolidated their core by signing extensions for a couple of their key players, the shortstop Elvis Andrews and outfielder Nelson Cruz. What do we make of these two stars as we head into 2012? You'd think we'd be high on Cruz because his expected batting average of 279 far exceeds his 263 he posted in 2011, but there's a lot of reasons for concern here in his metrics. His walk rate has declined from 10% two years ago to 6% in 2011. His contact rate similarly dropped from 80% to 76%, causing his eye ratio to drop from 40 to 28. We also see his power could be impacted as his fly ball rate has decreased from 46% two years ago to 43% in 2011. His power index similarly dropped just a hair, so a lot of reasons to be concerned with Nelson Cruz, who's a late bloomer, and I think he's a guy you have to be very cautious with in bidding in 2012. I'll go along with that, Matt, and there's another reason. He's also a very significant age and injury risk. Nelson Cruz turns 32 on Canada Day this year, July the 1st, and he's missed 90 playing days in the last two years alone with hamstring strains in both legs and a strained right quad. Those kind of injuries can really get in the way of any speed value for Cruz, and it makes him look a lot like a player in decline. Not so much for shortstop Elvis Andrus, though, Matt. He has all the makings of a genuine rising star. Yeah, certainly Andrus is just going to get better and better. Last year he hit 279, but his expected betting average was 291. He had increased his contact rate from 84% to 87%, and he's got a three-year upward trend in his eye ratio reflecting his plate discipline from 0.52 three years ago to 0.76 last year. Very consistent in stolen bases, uh, averaging about 35 a year. He's only 23. This is definitely a guy on the upside who's getting better and better with age. So don't be scared of his age. Don't think he's going to be overrated because of stolen bases. There's a lot less stolen base sources this year, so you're going to have to jump on a guy like Anders a little earlier if you want to compete in the stolen base category. Matt, I talked earlier in the show with Harold Nichols about Jeremy Guthrie moving from Baltimore to Colorado in a trade, and I'm wondering what do we think of the players coming to the Orioles, uh, Jason Hamill and Matt Lindstrom? Hamill's a guy we really liked last year, Patrick. Uh, he had a really nice command ratio of 3 
to one, strikeouts to walks, but uh, he really suffered last year. It was not the same pitcher at all. His ERA was 476, but his expected ERA was only 455. You'd think he'd be better, but actually his strikeout rate just dropped off the face of the map from 7.1 strikeouts per nine to five strikeouts per nine innings. And at the same time, he was walking more batters. His control went from 2.4 to 3.6 walks per nine innings. And that causes command ratio to go from 3 to 1.4, which is just horrible. Uh, his fly ball rate is getting worse, going up from 31% three years ago to 35% in 2011. So that's on upward trend. Not a lot to like with Hamill. The only consolation prize is maybe him getting out of Coors Field will help him mentally. He has shown the skills in the past. Like I said, in 2010, seven strikeouts per nine innings, more than seven a three-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio. So he does have the skills, and we say when a person shows the skills, he possesses those skills. So Hamill could put it together with a new start with a new organization, but uh, looking at last year, it's certainly not something you want to spend a lot of money to take that opportunity. And, of course, sometimes, Matt, a sudden drop in strikeouts and a sudden shift in ground ball fly ball mix indicates a possible arm injury in there somewhere. But Now, what about Lidstrom? He's had some closer experience. He had 23 saves a couple of years ago, although with horrible peripheral numbers. Notwithstanding that, could he be in the mix for saves in that Baltimore bullpen? Lidstrom had a real nice bounce-back year last year with an ERA of three, uh, but we see some interesting changes in his style. He was always a hard thrower when he came up, but last year he only struck out six batters per nine innings after striking out 7.3 in 2010. But he's on a three-year ratio where he's walking many less batters. He walked 4.6 batters per nine innings in 2009, 3.4 in 2010, and 2.3 in 2011. So he's lowering his walk rate by over one walk per nine innings each of the last three years. Now, obviously, there's not much more further it can go down. But this is a sign of an older pitcher learning how to get the ball over the plate and get outs. His command over this time has went from 1.6 to 2.6 and his fly ball rate has decreased from 35% to 31%. So this is definitely a veteran pitcher in transition, getting the ball over the plate, keeping on the ground a little better, and making other batters defeat him. He doesn't have the stuff that we'd like to see of a closer of a real high strikeout rate or a real high ground ball rate, but should be a fine middle reliever in Baltimore. And it's not like he has a great closer ahead of him in Jim Johnson. That job is sort of up for grabs. If Lindstrom gets hot, he could get some save opportunities in Baltimore. Well, I certainly hope you're wrong about that as the proud owner of Jim Johnson in my American League, uh, Rotisserie League. Let's stay in Baltimore for a minute. And one of the more intriguing young players in the game is outfielder Adam Jones. He had a pretty nice growth here in 2011, but the question I think, Matt, on everybody's mind is, can Adam Jones keep this rising trend going and be a real player to target a draft for 2012? We have him projected for 281 average, Patrick, with 26 homers and 85 RBIs and 81 runs scored, steal a dozen bases or so. We saw a definite power spike in 2011 from 19 homers in 2010 to 25 in 2011 and a 280 average. His walk rate increased just a bit from 4% to 5%, and he's shown better plate patience in the past, 7% walk rate in 2009. His power index has risen from 102 to 115, and his fly ball rate is slowly growing from 28% three years ago to 33% in 2011. That's not where you want to see for a big power hitter. Normally you want to get up around 40%, but because it's on a three-year upward trend and he's playing in Camden Yards, that does give us some hope. His home run per fly ball rate also grew last year, which is why his homer spiked, went from 11% to 17%, and that's pretty much his career 
uh, norm that was 18% back in 2009. So we see a guy with solid power, increasing his plate patience, putting more balls in the air. I don't think he's ready to break through and be a true superstar, but certainly he should do what he did in 2011 and then a little bit more. Well, that projection sounds a lot like a repeat of last season, but there definitely is potential for something more. Uh, Speaking of that, Matt, finally Alex Gordon really came into his own last season in Kansas City, having the kind of year everyone thought he was going to have when he was a top draft pick, but he disappointed everyone until 2011. So the question is, did Alex Gordon set a new baseline for continued growth, or is what we saw in 2011 pretty much what we can expect for 2012 and beyond? Gordon batted 303, Patrick, but that was a result of a 36% hit rate in 2011. His career norm is about 30%. His expected batting average is only about 281, so that's a much better expectation for him in 2012. He did increase his contact rate from 74% to 77%, but his eye went down from 0.55 to 0.48 because his walk rate went down from 12% to 10%. He's always had good plate patience, so it's very easy to expect that to rebound. His fly ball rate, however, has been decreasing the last four years from 48% in 2008 to 38% in 2011. And that's got to be a concern for his power numbers. We only project him to hit maybe 18 homers in 2012. His home run for fly ball rate is pretty stable at 13%. It was a career high, but it's always been about 11, 12, 13. So I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of power upside. You never know with a young player that he could develop. But I would say 2011 was definitely a peak at least in the short term for Alex Gordon, I would expect him to regress significantly in in batting average and a little bit in power in 2012. Okay, Matt, uh, you'll be back a little later on in the show with your Market Pulse commentary. What's your topic this week? This week we're going to talk about simulation drafts in 2012, some of the players that are out there and who you should target and who you should maybe avoid in the first round or two. Sounds great, Matt. We'll talk to you again next week. Looking forward to it, Patrick. Matt Beagle is a columnist at BaseballHQ.com and our American League analyst here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our feature interview with Rob Gordon comes up next. Stay with us at Baseball HQ Radio. Smith, Corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run. And the Cardinals have won the game by the score of 3-2. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt, and I'm very pleased now to be joined by Rob Gordon, the minor league analyst for BaseballHQ.com. We're going to talk some prospects for 2012. Rob, welcome back to the show. Hey, Patrick. Thanks for having me on the show again. Oh, it's our pleasure, Rob. Uh, By the way, this segment's going to have a bit of an interactive element. We asked BaseballHQ.com subscribers on the BaseballHQ.com forums, as well as people on the BaseballHQ Facebook page, to post some questions for Rob, and we're going to sprinkle those in throughout this interview. So that'll be a lot of fun and an added wrinkle. Uh, Including this question about the annual Top 100 Prospects list, Rob, which you posted on the site uh, recently. And before we get to any specific players, a poster from the forums named Freedom wants to know, what criteria did you guys use to put the list together? Well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly complicated process. I mean, I, I think both Jeremy and I start with looking at it from a scouting perspective. And so for me, that, that's always step one, um, you know, trying to evaluate a player's tools, 
you know, looking at the, the sort of five standard tools that the players have and kind of grading those tools, are those tools likely to continue to develop or not? Um, you know, so I, I really think that, that the basis of that sort of traditional scouting basis is, is where we always start from. And then trying to, trying to see if those tools are actually usable in games. And the way, one of the ways that you do that, at least for me, one of the best ways to assess that is by looking at the stats. You know, is the, the player could have all the tools in the world, but if, they, if they're batting practice tools and, you know, uh, before the game tools, but they're not actually usable during the game, well, you have to kind of downgrade from that. Um, certainly, I look at a lot of video, uh, read a lot of scouting reports, talk to other people who, who are doing this, either other scouts or other people who write about baseball. Um, but you know, and then really looking at the, the stats. For me, the, the thing I really like to look at for hitters is, is plate discipline. Um, I know we spend a lot of time talking about that, about batting eye. Uh, but for me, that really is it, it's just a key indicator that the, the player at a young age has a decent idea of what's a ball and what's a strike. And that's so key for, for hitters to continue to develop is, is that early plate discipline, um, the ability to get on base, uh, power. Obviously, early power is something I look at, too, and speed. And for pitchers, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, what, what kind of velocity do they have on their fastball? Do they throw any secondary pitches? How consistent are those secondary pitches? And can they dominate? So not only having a good fastball. So someone like Casey Kelly, I always worry for the – for the Padres, I always worry a little bit about him because he hasn't ever really shown the ability to dominate. So he strikes out about seven per nine, and he's pretty much been at that level. Um, and then, you know, not only the ability to dominate, but also good command. So the ability to throw consistent strikes in the strike zone. Rob, when you're looking at the prospects, you mentioned that you, where possible, like to see the player with your own eyes or at least on video. How, how much do you balance that stats versus just seeing the guy and getting a getting a sense of how he looks out there well i, I again i really think you have to do both i mean I, I can i can think of you know like josh vitters <laughs> um when i saw him when he was in high school i, I loved his swing he looked like you know just a really short compact right-handed swing just like a, this looked like a can't miss kind of guy um, you know, and he had really good hand-eye coordination. He, he put the bat on the ball pretty consistently in, in the time that I saw him play. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is that he, he doesn't walk. And so he really hasn't developed that ability to discern what is his pitch to hit. And so he, can, he doesn't strike out very much either, so he's still good at making contact. It's just he hits a, a weak grounder to second base rather than waiting on being more disciplined and waiting on his pitch and getting a good pitch that he can actually handle. So really being able to look at both, uh, you know, what are the, the, the tools that the player has, but the stats really tell a big story. And I think if you look at one without looking at the other, I think you're really, you're really missing half of the show. Um, and half of the information on the player. So I really think you have to look at both of those things in tandem. Certainly, I think looking at video, it can be helpful, but I really think you have to see the, the players in actual action on the field too. Well, speaking about scouting and about tools, from the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums, Mark T. wants to know about the bag of tools for the modern-day scout. Do you guys use YouTube? What about pitch-by-pitch data, that kind of new stuff that you see on other kinds of websites? Yeah, I, I mean, I love all of that stuff. I mean, for me, the more information, I mean, I, I think there's at some point that you can get information overload and, and, and maybe sometimes drown in the minutia of all the, of all the you know, the, the various ways that people slice and dice stats and all that. But I think, you know, I, I watch a ton of video. I mean, obviously, I can't see all of these guys play 
uh, you know, firsthand. And so I try to see as much as I can firsthand. But what I, but what I see firsthand, I want to, I want to, you know, you guy could have a good game. A pitcher could come out and have a, a real good game. And uh, you know, is there, how much do you, can you read from one game? And so. Um, you know, being able to, since I'm not a professional scout, um, being able to, to sort of validate that by looking at video is really key for me. Um, looking at how stats can, can tell you, you know, certainly split stats and looking at home and road stats, uh, looking at the park that they play in, so park effect, right-handed versus left-handed, uh, you know, does a player, does a player struggle versus, you know, left-handed batter, does he struggle against left-handed pitching? Uh, first and second half stats, um, looking at hit charts. And so the, the spray charts where our hitters, you know, over, like just consistently pull hitters or they use in the whole field. Um, talking, you know, again, you know, re- reading as many, even even if they're somewhat questionable in terms of the, the information that's out there. I mean, there's some pretty good blogs that are out there. Um, there's one that's a real good one that covers the, the Sally League, the South Atlantic League, you know. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of video that you can look at. Uh, but I think, again, I think you have to go back to that. You can get tons of information, but actually going to the game and, and watching the game in person, you just can't beat that because you can see things that are happening there in, in a much more dynamic way than you can through any other mechanism. Rob, when you're looking at those skills, Nick from the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums wants to know if there are metrics beyond the home runs and the actual results that are the best kind of proxies for future success for batters and pitchers. So I guess what he wants to know, Rob, is when we're looking through minor leaguer stats in AA, AAA, what measurements should really encourage us that a particular guy is going to be a, a good major leaguer? Well, I, you know, again, I, to go back to, to, for me, it's plate discipline, that batting eye, so looking at that strikeout-to-walk ratio. Um, you know, one of the things on Baseball HQ that we, that we really emphasize is at least having a, a you know, a two-to-one uh, or a, a .50 batting eye, and so that you're you're at least walking half the time, half as often as you're as you're striking out. And so I really look for that. That's uh, that's something that again I think if you if you demonstrate demonstrate that skill at an early age, um, it's something that I don't think players tend to lose. Uh, it tends to actually get better as they mature, um, but. You know, it, it, it does indicate that a player is being disciplined. Sometimes, they, sometimes hitters can be too patient, which is, is problematic as well. But for young guys, it's, it's really rare that, uh, you know, a really, 18, really good 18-year-old player is, is also patient at the plate and understands, or at least is trying to understand, what pitches they can handle. Um, and so you see guys that might have a really good batting average and maybe have some some power early, but if they have horrible plate discipline, you're gonna. I'm just gonna assume that that batting average is gonna come from 320 down to 250 really quickly if they can't figure out how to be more disciplined at the plate. Um, and for pitchers, uh, I, I really look at um, again being able to to, to dominate. To, so at least a 10.0 uh, strikeout uh, strikeout per nine. So at least 10 strikeouts per nine. That's a that's a minimum for for minor league guys for me, anyways. I mean, because that is going to come down as they as they mature, um, and then having good plate discipline. Or I mean, not sorry, good plate, good good command of the strike zone. And so, like a, we use a command ratio, which is the the walk to strikeout ratio of at least two point zero or higher. Um, the higher, the better, because again, that ratio is probably going to come down as they as they move up. Well, you make an interesting point there. Uh, you said that the strikeout, the dominance ratio, strikeouts per nine you're looking for is 10, which is quite a bit higher than what we look for in a rosterable major league player for our drafts. And the command ratio, strikeouts to walks at the major league level that we look for is 2.0. 
but you said that uh, it's also 2.0 when you're looking in the minors. Uh, why is uh, why is the command ratio not have to be higher in the minors as the strikeout ratio is higher in the minors? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. The, the reason is because minor league pitchers tend to be really wild. <laughs> and so, you know, you can live with the – at the minor leagues, you can get away with a guy having a 10.0 or 11 point. I mean, you, I, there's even guys that have, you know, like 14 or 15 strikeouts per nine. But they're also going to – typically, those guys are going to be guys that walk four or five batters per nine. And so – it, it ends up still being around that 2.0 or 3.0 ratio for, for strikeout to walk ratio. Um, but you can live with a little bit of that because you figure the dominance is likely to come down, but also the control is likely to improve as they, as they get more mature and figure out how to throw more consistent strikes. So that's why it's still, it's interesting. It is still 2.0, the strikeout to walk ratio, but it really has to be a much higher strikeout ratio per nine because the, because the control is so bad typically. You also mentioned that as guys get older and move up into tougher levels of competition, you naturally expect that their uh, ability to command the strike zone if they're pitchers and their ability to not strike out if they're hitters is going to decrease because the competition is just getting better as they rise into those higher levels. But when you're monitoring a player, how much can those key skills decline before you as a scout start to think, mm, maybe this guy doesn't have it after all? Certainly uh, with the, with dominance ratio, I think once it falls below that 7.0 ratio for strikeouts per nine, that's a real big red flag for me. Um, if a guy is in the minor leagues, especially in the lower minors, and he's not striking out, like I said, around 10 or so, Per nine, uh, that's that's an indication that that's going to fall off pretty substantially. I mean, we've seen cases where you know guys were striking out 10, 11 per nine in the minors, even at Double A and sometimes Triple A, come into the majors, and it's quickly around six or seven per nine. So if you're already at six or seven per nine in the minors, it's going to plummet to like three or four per nine, and that's just that's just is not going to cut it unless you have just phenomenal control, uh, which again most young pitchers don't have. So 7.0 for me is, is a pretty big red flag for, for a minor leaguer. Um, you know, a command ratio of, uh, of 4.0, so walking four guys per nine, if it's higher than that, that you could have the best stuff in the world, but if you can't throw consistent strikes, it's not going to matter. Um, for hitters, yeah, that, that 5.0 uh, for plate discipline, if it's below 5.0, I'm sorry, 0.50 uh, for batting eye, so that strikeout to, to walk ratio, uh, that's a pretty big red flag. And the other thing that, that I see go down consist pretty consistently with most players is speed. And so, you, you know, I see guys that have 15 home runs and 25 stolen bases, and people get all excited about that's the next 30-30 player. Well, I can pretty much guarantee those 25-30 stolen bases are going to quickly turn into 5 or 10 once you reach the majors. Um, and so speed is something that I think guys that have real good speed uh, in the minors are going to steal 50-plus bases, not 25. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt, talking prospects with Rob Gordon, who has his annual Top 100 Prospects, written with Jeremy Deloney, online now at BaseballHQ.com. And Rob, how do you guys square the big differences? You used to have separate lists on the site. This year it's just one combined list. So how did you, if you had a player on your list, maybe fairly high up, and Jeremy didn't have the guy at all, or vice versa, and that happened. So how, how did you guys work that out? Well, that's, it was it was a little bit tricky. Um, you know, we we talked back and forth a little bit about how we would do it, and what we ended up doing was just we just split the difference. And so, if I had the guy at number fifty and Jeremy had it at number sixty, then on the top one hundred list, he came out at fifty five. Because um, otherwise, we were just gonna we were just not necessarily gonna agree. Um, you know, at the bottom half of the list, that that 
it, it didn't, it, you know, the list becomes at some point, maybe after number 50 or so, the list becomes a bit fungible. And so, you know, I wouldn't wager much money that guy at number 45 on the list is automatically going to be 10 spots better than the guy who's number 55 at the list. I mean, there's a, I really think there are levels. And so like guys, maybe one through 25, I feel pretty strongly about my one through 25 guys. And then after about 40, really 40 to 60, those guys are are not totally interchangeable, but there's not a lot of difference um, between those guys. And so, if somebody argued that I, I, you know, that guy was 49 and I had him at 40, I'm I'm not going to get worked up about that. Um, and so, there, with the exception of a couple of players, we we had some guys that we differed pretty substantially on, and and we ended up sort of doing some commentary to follow up on that to explain what what our differences were. You know, it was a little bit harder at the top end of the list. So I had Shelby Miller, the Cardinals. Uh, Pitching prospect, uh, who I think is just fantastic. I had him at number four on my list. Jeremy had him at number thirty-three. So on our combined list, Miller came out at number seventeen. Um, and I, I just, I mean, that's the only way that we could kind of agree that we would, we would be able to come up with a combined list. Um, and so, the, you know, I think with the way that we that we squared that was that you know, if you go to the website, we have a detailed scouting report on Shelby Miller that I wrote up for the Cardinals uh, top fifteen, and also in the in the minor league baseball analyst book. Um, you know, I had a detailed scouting report on him there and, you know, I could easily say that I think he's one of the best pitching prospects in baseball there. And you get a really much fuller analysis of what I think of Shelby Miller as a player from reading those things than you, than you can from where is he on the, on the top 100 list. And in the past, Rob, you and Jeremy would follow up the two top 100 lists with a really entertaining column where you compared the ones that had the biggest gaps. Did you guys do that again this year? Yeah, we actually did a, a two weeks running. Uh, we had two columns in a row uh, where we compared players like that, and we looked at guys that we really differed on. Um, and obviously, Shelby Miller, uh, you know, players like that. There, there were a couple guys that we we had pretty substantial differences on, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, in the next year or two, you know, who who was right on that? Um, a couple guys that, that that we really differed on were Robbie Erlin, uh, a lefty from from San Diego, who I, I'm really high on. Um, and I had Erlen, uh, ranked at, I think number 23 and Jeremy didn't have him in, the, in his top 100 at all. Um, and another guy is Billy Hamilton, who's just this, you know, phenomenal speedster for Cincinnati. But, um, you know, Jeremy, I had him at number 67 cause he's, he's pretty shaky defensively, but Jeremy didn't have him again, didn't have him on his top 100 at all. And you know, I understand in some ways, I mean, he's a really, really sort of shaky player defensively and doesn't have any power. So all of his, all of his value is tied up in, in his speed. And if he doesn't, play good enough defense it's not going to matter how fast he is he's not going to play but um you know so it was a little bit tricky when when guys like that were up there you know and and so what we did is just wrote you know more extensive comments on that and kind of did a little back and forth about what we thought players attributes or weaknesses were so that the subscribers could get a a better insight well it's funny you should mention billy hamilton because i was thinking about um a top 100 prospect list whether it's yours there's a number of them out there and they are a little bit different sometimes from a fantasy prospect list because of the impact uh, on in many formats of things like saves and stolen bases. You mentioned Billy Hamilton. I'm thinking of a guy like Anthony Ghost who can really run. And I, I, I was wondering, and from the HQ subscriber forums, the uh, user called Mike K wants to know how fantasy owners can kind of get those two things aligned, convert the overall top prospect list like yours and Jeremy's, into a top fantasy prospect list because of the fantasy valuation differing from real baseball valuation. Mike offers an example that says pitchers are inherently riskier, so should we adjust our fantasy prospect list to reflect the risk? And I'll ask you, should we adjust the prospect list at all to take into account differences of fantasy? 
Well, I, th- that's always a tricky, uh, a tricky thing because we really look at Jeremy and I when, I when we do our list, we really look at it as a, a top prospect list. And so, um, you know, somebody, somebody who's like, you know, Julio or Jose Iglesias from, uh, from Boston, you know, has, I don't think he was on our list this year, but he has been in the past. He's just a fantastic defensive shortstop. He can, can't hit a lick, but he's, he's the best defensive shortstop I've seen in the minor leagues in the last, the last five years. And so, Obviously, that has very little fantasy value, but but in the real world, he he has tons of value. Um, certainly, I think I think if you're looking at a list from fantasy for fantasy purposes, we we do try to you know in, in the baseball forecaster, we do have a, a top 100 fantasy prospect list where we put guys that are closer to the major leagues and more likely to contribute this year on that list, and then also guys I, I bump up guys on the list um, based on their speed and some other things, and so pitchers I think are inherently inherently riskier. Uh, without a doubt. And so you look at somebody like Rick Porcello from, from the Tigers, um, you know, he's, he, I don't know, he won, I don't know how many games last year. He's a pretty solid mid-rotation starter, but I think we have, have him projected for $2 value next year, right? Um, with 13 wins, but I think it's only going to come out to like a $2 value in a typical 5 by 5 league. Um, so, you know, a guy like that isn't really going to have, even if he comes through, isn't going to have a, a tremendous amount of value. Um, unless he's going to be, a, you know, an, a staff ace, and how many of those are, are out there? And so, plus you, you you factor in the the health, you know, injury risks, and I, I think it's a really risky to draft pitchers and for fantasy purposes early on. Um, you know, compare that to somebody like Tyler Pastrnicki, who uh, is a shortstop from Atlanta that we're projecting to get, you know, relatively full time at bats, so maybe four hundred at bats. But as a rookie, I think we're projecting him to earn eight dollars because he's probably going to steal about twenty twenty five bases, and so. You know who do you normally who are you going to get the established guy who's got a spot locked up in the Tigers rotation, or this rookie that you know that might get four hundred bats from Atlanta? But in in fantasy, I'd take the rookie <laughs> that's going to steal some bases. And Rob, before we let you go for this week, and we're going to have you back next week, maybe you could review the whole age for level idea. There, there's a sort of a path that guys follow to the majors, and it's good to know when a player is young for his level, and it's good to know when a player is old for his level because it, it, he's probably not going to be as successful a prospect as a guy who's ahead of his time. So what is the appropriate age range for each level, just briefly? Well, you know, and obviously it varies a little bit. At the low end, it's a little bit tricky because you've got college guys that are getting drafted and then coming into the mix. And so, but but typically for low A, I would say 18 to 20, um, that that's reasonable. If it's a college guy and he's 20 or 21 even, and he just got drafted and it's his professional debut at low A, that, that's okay. I'm not worried about that because he's probably going to move up pretty quickly. But if it's a guy who's drafted as out of high school and he's still 20 and he's at low A, that's getting a little old. Uh, 19 to 21 for high A. 20 to 22 for double A and a little bit, I could say a little bit more of a range at, at triple A. So like 21 to 24 for, for triple A. The reason I'd go a little higher on that end is just because occasionally you get a guy like Matt Gamble from, from the Brewers who, who might be blocked. And so he's ready to go. He's, you know, 24, 25, but he just doesn't have a place to play yet. Um, that's still not really considered old for triple A, especially if you go see some of the teams triple A play, there's a bunch of 30 year olds playing down there. Okay, Rob, thanks very much for doing this. Before we let you go for this week, uh, tell us who's your minor league minute about a little later in the show. Uh, we're covering Danny Halton this week, a fantastic lefty who was the second overall pick in the in the 2011 draft this year. And he pitches in the Seattle Mariners organization, speaking of easy paths to the big leagues. Uh, Rob, thanks very much for doing this. We'll have you back again in a week's time. We'll talk about some specific players off of your top 100 prospects list at BaseballHQ.com. 
Thanks, Patrick. Rob Gordon is a minor league analyst at BaseballHQ.com and does our minor league minute commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, this is Rob Gordon, one of the minor league analysts at Baseball HQ. I'm also the co-author, along with Jeremy Deloney, of the 2012 Minor League Baseball Analyst, which is available through Baseball HQ and will be delivered in late January and plenty of time for your 2012 draft prep. The book contains statistical and scouting information on over 1,000 of the best prospects in baseball, along with numerous articles and valuable lists. The book uses all of the invaluable Baseball HQ statistical tools to help you figure out which prospects are likely to have the biggest impact and when they will reach the majors. Order the Minor League Baseball Analyst 2012 now at BaseballHQ.com for $19.95 plus shipping and handling. As a special bonus, if you order the analyst directly from BaseballHQ.com, you'll get an online update of all 30 organizational lists in March 2012 and at the same time an online update of the top 50 fantasy prospects. Hey, it's Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt here. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. Matt Beagle is on deck with the Market Pulse. BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler is in the hole with Master Notes. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And once again, BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon now here to tell us about Seattle left-handed pitching prospect Danny Hulson. The Seattle Mariners' Danny Hulson will be an interesting player to watch this spring. The 22-year-old lefty was the second overall pick in the 2011 draft after a standout career at the University of Virginia. Hulson features a really good 91-94 to mile-an-hour fastball that tops out at 96 mile an hour, so he's got plenty of velocity. He also throws a slightly above-average sweeping slider and a plus changeup. At 6'3", 200 pounds, Hulson has a strong athletic build and an advanced idea of how to pitch. Hulson locates all of his offerings really well, particularly his fastball, and pounds the strikes onto both sides of the plate. In his junior season at Virginia, Hulton walked only 23 while striking out 165 in 118 innings pitched, with an ERA of 1.37 going 12-3 on the year. Hulton has yet to make his professional debut, but he was very impressive in six starts in the Arizona Fall League, where he was 1-0 with a 1.40 ERA, with just five walks and 18 strikeouts in 19 innings pitched. Hulton has a high level of pitchability, meaning that he has an advanced idea of how to outthink hitters and keep them off balance. He also has some nice deception from his left-handed delivery. The acquisition of Hulton and the rapid development of Taiwan Walker partially explained the Mariners' willingness to trade Michael Pineda to the Yankees. While Hulton has yet to make his pro debut, it will not be surprising to see him reach the majors even as early as the second half of the 2012 season, and those in deep keeper league should definitely snap him up in early rounds of your minor league draft. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ minor league analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. Rob Gordon has his regular organizational reports and prospect updates, and Jeremy Deloney reports every day during the season on minor leaguers who've been called up to the big leagues. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your league, well, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now the Market Pulse with BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle talking this week about the simulation draft pool, looking at the top of the draft and some pitchers. We're going into the sweet spot of simulation drafting and trading season. If you play Stratomatic, Epa, or Diamond Mind, this is the format you like because it takes fielding into account and lets you manage the players, make the lineups, make the bullpen calls, bring in the pinch hitters, pinch runners, etc., when you look at the draft class of this year, 2012, the number one consensus pick is Mike Trout. He 
He's probably going to be an excellent player, of course, maybe a superstar. But if you've got a good team this year, you may want to look instead at Eric Hosmer or Michael Pineda, who have excellent cars using the 2011 statistics. You not only get a great long-term player, because we really don't know which of those three, Trout, Pineda, or Hosmer, will be better, but you guarantee you get contributions this year. We would certainly recommend taking a hitter over a pitcher unless you're competing this year because pitchers we know are more prone to injury. And in simulation, it's not the, just the stats they put up, but are they balanced? A one-sided card or a card who gives up an inordinate amount of home runs can be much more difficult to use in the simulation format. Since 2011 was another year of the pitcher, more than ever, you don't have to overpay to get a decent starter. There's still a, a very high price to pay for an ace, but there's a lot more pitchers in the second and third tier of your starters. In your draft, you have lots of targets, such as Brandon Beachy, Corey Ludke, Josh Colmenter, Philip Humber, Ryan Vogelsong. Lots of good pitchers out there in the draft that you can take to help you this year. If you're looking more toward the future, Matt Moore is in this draft in addition to the other young players. Maybe Vance Worley you want to take a chance on. So lots of pitching options in this draft. Either way, you don't have to overpay or overdraft someone as you often do in the past because there's so few good starting pitchers. This year there are more than ever. The year of the pitcher is more evident in the bullpen. While each draft often gives you lots of bullpen options, 2011 draft class for 2012 gives you more options than ever. Even in a third round in a 15-team league, you're seeing guys like Steve Ciszek, Javi Guara, and Christian Martinez last that far. In a 20-team league, they're going at the end of the third round. So those are some fantastic cards slipping deep into the drafts. And left-handed relievers, there's way more than ever that are usable for your competitive franchise. So lots of options in the pitching front. And remember, you can always build a team on relievers. We'll get into that in another issue of the Market Pulse. For Baseball HQ, I'm Matt Beagle. Matt Beagle writes columns on a variety of fantasy baseball topics at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talking this week about surviving the storms. There is a quote by Sam Palmisano, the chairman of IBM, that goes, Win not by surviving the storm, but by changing the game. Every year that we go into our fantasy drafts, most of us are really just surviving the storm. In our draft prep, we were surviving the storm of common mass information. At our drafts, we are surviving the storm of decisions made by other owners. At another level, we are even surviving the storm of league rules that might not meet our personal needs. We often hear advice like, be careful of runs on particular types of players, or take whatever bargains the table gives you, or don't reach. Yes, if we draft a player too far ahead of his average draft position, we risk public scorn and humiliation. Winning this game should not be a matter of survival. We need to be more in control of our own destinies. We need to change the game, to change our own mindset. Next week begins our annual First Pitch Forum cross-country tour, and changing the game is going to be the focus of these three-hour programs. Among the 20 subtopics we are going to be discussing are two in particular that focus on how we look at players in the first round of snake drafts. History has shown that 
of the players we project to finish with first round value, the ADP top 15, less than 40% of those players will actually return first round value. In fact, of the real top 15 players at the end of the season, 80% of them will come from the ADP's top four rounds. So when we are considering our draft strategies, we should be looking at a pool of about 60 players who could end up with high-end value and drafting them regardless of their ADP. At first pitch, we'll be looking at players who are too risky to draft too high. We'll also look at players in the lower tier of the top four rounds who might have the upward mobility to finish as a first-rounder. Then, if we are to toss off the shackles of ADPs, this leads to a question like, why shouldn't I draft Andrew McCutcheon with my number one pick? McCutcheon's current ADP is 25. The answer to this question comes down to obvious issues like, well, could I get McCutcheon with my number two or number three pick? But it also includes issues like, if the natural choice right now is a player who is above my risk threshold, shouldn't I opt for a lower risk option with greater upside? This is a decision that comes into play with guys like Jacoby Ellsbury because of regression, or Ryan Braun because of his possible suspension, or Justin Verlander because pitchers are volatile, or Evan Longoria because of his low batting average. Everyone's risk tolerance is different, but for each player you mentally downgrade, another player gets pushed forward, and those first four rounds become very fluid very quickly. As game changers, we should be willing to buck the ADP expectation and not think things like, darn, Verlander's ADP is number 8, and he has fallen to me here at 15. How can I pass him up this late? Even though your gut says that he is not going to come close to last year's numbers. And Andrew McCutcheon is still out there. But grabbing a guy at 25 at that point is such a reach. Odds are McCutcheon probably has just as much a chance of returning first-round value as Verlander does. That is just the tip of the iceberg of our game-changing topics of first pitch. These forums are multimedia conferences that combine expert presentations and interactive activities into a highly informative and entertaining experience. The tour begins next Saturday, February 18th in Los Angeles and continues over three weekends in San Francisco, Chicago, Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Boston. You get a 20% discount if you register in advance. Complete details are on the BaseballHQ.com homepage. I hope you join us. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler. Ron Chandler writes a weekly column every Friday on BaseballHQ.com. This week, Ron writes about his 2012 Extreme Regression Targets. Ron also discusses his columns and other topics in the subscriber forums at BaseballHQ.com, and you can get the master notes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, Ron also has his master notes here for you every week at Baseball HQ Radio. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of February the 11th and show number four of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to Baseball HQ Radio. We remind you to tell your friends about our show, and please take a second to go to iTunes and rate the program. Helps keep us going. I also want to thank our guests today, starting with BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon 
Rob and Jeremy Deloney really add so much to BaseballHQ.com for our subscribers. I also want to thank our regular lineup from the best fantasy baseball website in the business, our Market Watch news analysts, Harold Nichols for the National League, and columnist Matt Beagle for the American League. Matt was also our Market Pulse commentator this week. Rob Gordon did double duty as our minor league commentator, and our Master Notes commentator, as always, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler. We have some great features this week at BaseballHQ.com. Be sure to check out Neil Fitzgerald's research into strength of schedule metrics. Really interesting stuff. The 2012 SGP denominators are out, thanks to Matt Cedarholm. And Frank Noto will have a look at how leagues can manage the Astros' transition from the National to the American League. Plus, we'll have our regular features on playing time, facts and flukes, and buyer's guides. I'm Patrick Davitt. My batting buyer's guide column at BaseballHQ.com will be looking at non-roster invitees, and later this week I'll be posting a Roto Strategy column on designing a good keeper list. In the meantime, I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember to check out BaseballHQ.com on Facebook, and our Twitter feed is at BaseballHQ. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is available as a free podcast through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com slash radio slash radio. And there's a complete archive there of past editions as well. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of Fantasy Sports Ventures. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the individuals speaking and not necessarily those of Fantasy Sports Ventures. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.